0: Women Uncut. My name is Pinky Gadiali, founder and CEO of NetWomen, where we inspire, supporting and include women from all over the world to get to the top. Our mission is a 50-50 gender split and close the gender and ethnicity gap. Create equity, celebrate equality. I'm also the CEO and founder of Mindset by Pinky, where I help people overcome imposter syndrome and limiting beliefs through NLP and hypnosis to break the glass ceiling. You can book your discovery call with me by following the link at the end. Every month, we'll bring you our latest updates from NetWomen and our community. We'll be chatting about stories we found particularly newsworthy and giving our opinions on them, with a variety of speakers joining me each month from the NetWomen community and having those conversations we don't normally talk about. And today, I'm delighted to be joined by the brilliant Leila Akai, who is the founder and CEO of Diverse Minds UK and if you've been following us I did a podcast with uh, Leila a
1: few weeks ago and
0: we even met in person. Hi Leila, lovely to see you again.
1: Hello, really exciting to be here. Thanks so much for having me on the show.
0: It's such a pleasure to have you on because um I think we mentioned in your podcast that I've been following you for a very long time. So I was a little starstruck when I reached out on LinkedIn and I went,
1: can I be on your podcast?
0: And you went, yes. And so here we
1: are and you're on
0: mine, which is amazing. I love it.
1: It's very exciting. It's power of LinkedIn, isn't it?
0: It is indeed. So Leila, our listeners want to know about you Tell us in, and I love this challenge, in 30 seconds or less, how did you get to where you are today?
1: Yeah, so so my business is Diverse Minds UK Limited, and we focus on race equity and mental well-being, non-clinical. And my journey was through universities, working in race equity, setting up programs for mental well-being and disability on the staff side at Imperial College, getting traction, getting attention outside and thinking, "Hmm, there's something in this, and launching my business.
0: Love it. Perfect. Very succinct. I think you beat the 30 seconds. <laughs> um, so tell me what got got you into this in the first place.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question. And I, you know, I think as time goes on, I keep reflecting on that question that you've just asked me. I think, Primarily, it's my constant experience of exclusion from growing up, from being at school. And we had that conversation, didn't we, on the podcast about how on Sunday nights you would feel a particular way about going to school. And I didn't feel that way. But what I did feel was just constant exclusion. You know, I wasn't thin enough. I wasn't blonde. I wasn't white. I wasn't sporty. I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, and then I think also being just constantly excluded until sixth form and then going to university and just knowing how painful that is. Um, and also then being in the workplace where i wouldn't say i was excluded as much for my identity but it was the roles so when you work in equity diversity and inclusion it's a bit uncomfortable for people um and i used to call our office actually at one somewhere i worked the quarantine room and it was like um you know the mosquito that buzzes in people's ear that no one wants no one wants it near them so i think it's always that the barriers the resistance in different ways always feeling like an inside outsider um And seeing things from a bird's eye view and thinking, well, it doesn't have to be this way and being able to have my own agency, um, having a business rather than working inside an organisation.
0: That's amazing. How are you? um, What kind of work do you tend to do with organisations?
1: Yeah, so it's a mix, I would say. Um, training, so training on specific areas. Um, and that can range from, as I've mentioned, you know, mental health first aid, my own mental health program, the Mentally Healthy Leading Manager, race equity work, allyship, reciprocal mentoring programs, which I would say race reciprocal mentoring programs, which have a huge impact and also shorter sessions on inclusive language, positive communication, and things like that. And um, one-to-one coaching and group coaching on you know, how to be a better manager, but also how to navigate the workplace as a global majority person and look after your well-being. wellbeing. Um, keynote speak, speaking and consultancy, um, audit reviews and consultancy on specific areas. So there are a number of ways that I can help. And of course, a big program of work would include all of those elements.
0: Amazing. Tell me a little bit more about you as a person. So were you born in the UK?
1: No, so I was born in the US. I moved to the UK when I was nine. Um, and my sort of heritage is East African Asian. So people are always surprised when I say I haven't been to India. I must have some distant relatives there, but not to my knowledge. Um, or no, you know, no one's ever told me about them because my understanding is that everyone left for East Africa in the 1930s, 1940s. Um And so, yeah, I feel like, you know, much like you, Pinky, this kind of double diaspora, um, different different understanding of uh, folklorics and language having been born in the US you know English spoken there is very different the directness is very different so coming to Britain I feel I'll always feel like an inside outsider but then when I remember when I went to Turkey and people couldn't queue I flipped out and couldn't deal with that either so it's often times when I'm not in this country that I realize that I have deeply British traits and I do identify as British but I wouldn't identify as English even though that's where you know I've spent predominantly most of my life in England um, you know feel like much more connectivity often with Irish communities because I think Irish communities and South Asian communities there's a lot of co- you know a lot of commonalities um, but yeah it's, it's an interesting one and I think again that really shapes the work on cultural communication and awareness.
0: Yeah and what was that when you moved over from the US the UK what was that like for you as a child?
1: Yeah, so it was pretty tough. I remember, I mean, I experienced racism in the US as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think it was hard. I think it was, you know, I, I think I've blocked a lot of it out, to be honest. But yeah, a lot of bullying, a lot of, you know, I didn't really, I didn't understand the culture, I didn't really understand what was going on. Um, you know, it took me a good while. Um, and then, you know, going to secondary school in Kent in the 90s, when you're you know, a school of 1000, it was a big school of 1000 people and you're one of six uh, South Asian g- girls, because we were girls at the time, and there were, I think, two black girls in the school. Um, yeah, it was really hard. It's a really isolating experience. So and part of me wonders whether, I don't think you ever get over it. I think you kind of, you block it out and you kind of think about the grief and the experience and you integrate it into what you do and you try and think about ways of turning that isolation into power.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because I have a very similar story and that loneliness that i felt when i was at school and the only brown girl in a school of all white girls it you just i think all the things that you do going forward then are around that and creating that space that belonging that community i suppose that's where net women actually comes from from that yeah. um, so it's really interesting um Tell me more about you know what would you say were your biggest challenges? I know this is a difficult one because we often have many challenges going through <laughs> our careers, our journeys. What would you say yours was?
1: It in my career, once starting in the workplace, yeah. Um, so I think you know my first job, which was an elected student union position uh, officer role, was amazing. And I think the challenge there was, you know, you advocate, you lobby, you get what you want. You've got the voice of students, you're an elected representative, but it is still a job. And then really hitting planet Earth when I had my first job at the University of Oxford, working in widening participation and the kind of disorganisation and the chaos and not knowing what was going on. And so I think that was a huge, huge challenge. Um, And again, someone that wasn't my manager, but was a real bully and not having anywhere to go so where do you where do you go where do you sort of complain about that where do you talk about that then I think after that it was um, a really awful merger into um we would report via my manager into it was a registrar and then we got merged into HR and I think that was a really horrible experience not just for me for the whole team because you go from being in corporate governance to effectively being part of HR that no one wants to listen to um, so I think it's and it's always I think the other theme is instability. So um, and having to adapt and not necessarily having the political now I didn't in my early 20s to adapt and really work out the the inner workings of the culture Um And then I think another challenge has been um, how you're received, how you're received as an Asian woman who maybe doesn't look your age or, you know, people have perceptions about you and, and who hears what you're saying. So, yeah, we can talk about unconscious bias till the cows come home. But in reality, we need to look at systems that support certain voices and systems that don't. And I think learning about that and. I think a big challenge was how do I need to phrase things because I'm a very emotional, open person that doesn't go down very well in higher education in the UK. So you have to use constantly use data and legalistic things and order and risk. And there is a place for that. Absolutely. But when it's not your preference, that's a real challenge.
0: Yeah, definitely. And then when you went through your career, what was what would you think was your defining moment? What made mm. you in, you know, do what
1: you're doing? Yeah, so I think, you know, I had a very different experience at Imperial College London. I actually had a brilliant time there, despite the fact that when I arrived, I took the job for the manager who was there at the time, and within a month she'd been dismissed. Um, and that's a long story. And I, you know, I didn't think how she'd been treated was very fair. Um, and it was like, oh, okay, good. So now there's this big chasm. But actually, I just thought, well, you know what? I'm just going to act up. Even though no one's giving me the money, no one's giving me the title, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to act up and pretend it's me. And eventually I'll get there. And it took about two years, but I did get there. But I think that was a defining moment, um, actually. And I, I, I wouldn't say I'd recommend it to people. And I had a very interesting coaching session with a phenomenal staff member yesterday from a global majority background. And he was talking about the fact that he feels the need to do everything and to have control because if he doesn't do that, people won't see him. So, and he's, you know, in his, uh, in his sort of early 20s and I thought it's like speaking to myself and I said, all right, so let's plot out everything. So let's look at everything you're doing and what is strategic operational admin and networking and what value does that, ne- does that admin hold for you? And no, I didn't have anyone to do that for me. But, so I'm not advocating it and saying it's the best thing to do but it worked for me in that time. And I think that, you know, being in a London institution, the difference is that if you make financial sense, if you can, you know, do things that bring things up, that you will be um, acknowledged and seen. I think in many other institutions, you can do that till the cows come home and you'll never be seen. So I think it was a mixture of timing, place, location, um, turning something actually quite awful round. And I think if I hadn't been through those really tough experiences previously, I wouldn't have been able to do that. Um. So, yeah. <laughs>
0: What would you have done differently?
1: Yeah, I think I would have, you know, taken a step back and just thought, okay, so I need to be strategic. I need to do this, but how do I do it without burning myself out? And actually, when is enough enough? And I'm not a perfectionist, so I'm okay at the good enough bit but I'm not okay at the, you know, at keep adding eggs to the basket. Let's just keep going. Let's just keep going. <laughs> Let's just keep going. So um, it's more about, you know, a dozen eggs is okay. I don't need 20 dozen. Um, You know, I don't need all these activities. So that's definitely what I would have done differently. I think I would have um asked for more help. So I think the reason I'm not good at asking for help is I think within my own, uh, framework and my relatives every time I've asked for help it's always been met with a lie or a no so that's very difficult for me so I almost to manage the disappointment I just don't ask because I'm so scared of not being helped um so I would have done that differently and I think just knowing that um you don't have to do everything in a day that it, it's a you know you can take your time over things and usually I mean of course if you're in the medical professional a medical professional or in health and safety there are risks to people's lives. But I think if you don't send an email about a piece of data for a meeting on Friday and it's Monday morning, it's going to be OK. There aren't going to be any casualties. <laughs> I love
0: it. It's so true. Like, how urgent is this? Like, how do you measure that urgency? Um, Prioritising tasks is so important. And otherwise, you're just overwhelming yourself, aren't you, with a load of things that you need to do. And we all do this, but setting those boundaries is so important. And going on that, tell me more about um, your TED Talk, because you did a TED Talk. How long ago was it? Tell us more about that.
1: Yeah, so it's 1st of October 2022, so nearly coming up for a year. I was TEDx Wolverhampton, Um, and it's something I'd been thinking about for a long time, actually. And I thought, right, this is the year. This is the year I'm going to do it. So in fact, the first um, the first TEDx that I applied for, so they're all very different. Some have application forms, some don't, Um, I got. And the TEDx Wolverhampton team are brilliant. And I talked about the connection between culture, race and mental health at work. So how racism impacts on mental well-being, the stats around mental ill health and racism and what organisations can do to tackle racism to therefore improve mental well-being.
0: Wow. How did that feel, jumping on that stage?
1: So there's a story I talk about, actually, and I um, it's just in my recent podcast episode reviewing um, the podcast that I've done over the last 12 months, and... Um, it was terrifying. The rehearsal was very, very scary. And I remember at the rehearsal, there's one bit in the talk where I say racism has been a, a theme running through my life. And in the rehearsal, I burst out crying. And the brilliant Claire Roberts Malloy, she came down, who's the coordinator of TEDx Wolverhampton, and she gave me a tissue. She's like, okay, take a breath, it's cool. And I was like, oh my God, what am I gonna do if I cry on the day? She's like, Well, you're just gonna deal with it, it's okay. Um, and you're there with people you'd not I'd not met them before, they were all really supportive fellow speakers. And then actually on the day it was okay because I saw this woman in the audience with this beautiful green dress with flowers. And I thought I'm just going to focus on her and I'm going to look at that dress. I'm going to look at the flowers and the flowers symbolize hope. And I managed to keep it together, but um, it is hard. You know, it's, it's really hard. And I think when you do it live, that's one thing you know, the audience are really supportive. They're people that have bought tickets. They want to be there. And then it's really scary when it gets released online because that's essentially open to the world. So um, I would say it was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be because when you haven't learned something verbatim that's 12 minutes long, that's a lot, you know, that's a big monologue to learn. Um, I think also it is a brilliant experience, but the emotional roller coaster flipping heck, I wasn't prepared for that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, brilliant. Well, you did it. Congratulations. That's amazing. It's one of my, definitely one of the things I want to do in my life.
1: You're going to be brilliant. You should definitely do it.
0: Oh, thanks. I will definitely look into it this year. I feel like this year is almost running out though. We've only got four months left. Oh,
1: strange, isn't it? It's, it's a been a the summer's just flown by.
0: It really has. It really has. You know, when you've had a good summer when it's flown by. <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell me more about... Um, the path of least resistance where does that come from because I know you wanted to touch on that today and I wanted to kind of guide you in the direction of that conversation tell me more about that
1: yeah so again it's something I've been thinking about a lot and I um a woman called Nina Kuypers who runs black women in menopause she came on the podcast and then she emailed me just to say hi how are you I said you know what I'm not I'm not the best, but, you know, I just keep trying, um, taking it slowly. And she said, you know, she emailed back and said, Leila, the path of least resistance is still a path. And that really stuck with me because I think often from our collective cultures, Pinky, we, there is a sense, isn't there, if you're not hustling, you're not doing it right. Plus, then you add the kind of Euro lens on it about productivity and go, go, go. And you feel like if you're not climbing and climbing and climbing and climbing and and, and stumbling and getting back up, you're not doing it right. Well, that's definitely how I felt. And when I read that, I just sort of had a light bulb moment because it is still a path just because you're not scrambling and jumping and, and and you know, putting your leg over a hurdle, but you're still walking and it might be quite a nice path. You might be ambling. You might be stopping to smell the flowers, but you're still on a path. Um, and going back to the question that you asked me before and what would I have done differently in that, in that sort of seminal moment where there was something negative and it became quite positive for me, I think it's that you're still on a path and to not always be able to control things and that's okay. And if you're not hustling, that doesn't mean you're not doing it right. It just means you're not hustling, but you're still doing things and you're still learning and you're still developing and you're still being, you know, it's a very cliche, isn't it? But I do love it. You know, you're not, we're not human doings, we're human beings, right? So the path of least resistance supports that mindset, which has taken me 40 years to really get to. (laughs) (laughs) But
0: that's I mean it is. It's sometimes you get those light bulb moments and you go, you know, at least I'm moving. And some people aren't moving at all. Some people aren't going anywhere. So at least you have something in your mind, that goal, that vision, that purpose that's driving you to make change and to make a difference. And it doesn't matter what speed you go at, as long as you're going. So I think yeah I absolutely agree with you on that one that's a it's a good statement as well it's you know it really does make you think sit back and reflect and and really take in that moment and go yeah you're right I'm going and that's all that matters.
1: And actually what else are you seeing along the way if you're not scrambling you're seeing Oh, there's someone else having a picnic on a bench at the side near the stream, or I'm going to go chat to them or, oh, look, I've got time to attend this event and learn something or, you know, and I think that's the thing, isn't it? I think it's this accepting the meandering, accepting that some days you have to just take it 10 minutes at a time or an hour at a time. And that's okay.
0: Yeah, I definitely have had a day like that. So you know, (laughs) sometimes that happens when you've had a lovely holiday and a lovely break and you come back. First day back, yeah, all guns blazing. Next day, not so much. Um, and it's ebbs and flows, isn't it? Every day is a school day for me. Like I, <laughs> I end up learning so much about myself in in the process. That and some days, you know, you just don't feel like it. Mm-hmm. And that's okay too. Again, we're human beings. That's that's how we operate some days are better than others and that's okay and it's being able to accept that and not um dehumanizing ourselves we're not AI and you know we don't we're not just on this treadmill of oh we've got to get this done blah 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 and it's just yeah it's that hustle mentality that's that's quite big in entrepreneurship Mm. I think um and that mindset of hustle and grind and all those words that yeah, gives me chills. <laughs> what are you? Tell me what you're up to now. Like, what is your current thing that you're on? And then tell me what you're doing, going to be doing. What's the future of Diverse Minds?
1: Yeah, so that's a an interesting question. I think for the moment, it's kind of being and working towards and working with organisations and their plans for race equity and mental well-being. Um, and then in then the autumn, I really want to focus on race reciprocal mentoring programs because I know they have some of the biggest uh, positive and long-lasting um, change outcomes and not just change, but genuine authentic dialogue from building relationships. Um, so that's the focus for autumn. So if you're interested in learning more about race reciprocal mentoring uh, what it means and how it can help your organization, you know, do get in touch. Um, and I'm going to be yeah, of course. Working on the podcast, we've got some different themes coming up for the months ahead. Some really great guests, um, and also just looking after my well-being. So I really struggle in winter, and the older I get, the worse it seems to get. So um, last year I did hundred happy days, and I think I'll probably be doing that again, starting from because tw- if you start on twenty second of November, it takes you to first of March, which is quite helpful. And I just picked a random date and did it, and I was like, oh, look at this, this works quite well. Um, so continuing that, um, you know what I what I advocate for I won't say preach but what I advocate for other people um, and yeah and also thinking about then in January we're going to be focusing lots on heart mind connection and well-being um, so talks and I'm also launching um a white paper so keep your eye out for that for National Inclusion Week um, that will help uh, it'll be free and it'll help organizations around mental well-being in another key area for National Inclusion Week
0: Amazing. Sounds like you're doing great things. We'll definitely follow you. How do our listeners find out more about you?
1: Yeah, brilliant. So, if you want to check out my website, it is minds with an s.co.uk um, And then, if you want to connect with me on Twitter, it's at diversemindsuk. My Facebook page is at diversemindsuk. And on LinkedIn, you can link in with me. It's L E Y L A O K H A I. And we also have a business page, which is surprise, surprise, diverse minds uk. <laughs>
0: So you can find me there. (laughs) Nice and easy. Fantastic. And to wrap up, what, from your experience that you shared today, what message would you like to give our listeners?
1: Yeah, I would like to say that, um, you know, things are always going to be challenging, um, whether that's personally, professionally, and things are difficult. So please do give yourself time and space, take a step back, some things are really hard and I get that. But what might be the path of least resistance for you, where you can still get to where you want to be, but not push yourself so much that it's painful? Or, you know, I'm thinking about people who have caring responsibilities, whether that's for younger dependents, older dependents. It's it, it's incredibly challenging. Uh, who can help you? Who can hold your hand on that path? And what does the path of least resistance look like for you? Love it.
0: That's very useful. And then one last question. What
1: advice would you give your younger self? Oh gosh, <laughs> it's a good question. I so it's, it's a really good question. Um, I think it would be to trust, trust yourself, trust your intuition, because your own inner compass will guide you.
0: Love it amazing loved having you on thank you so much for being thank you conference. pinky um and yeah let's meet up in person again because <laughs> love that
1: thank you so much pinky Yeah, me too and really lo- thank you so much for having me on the show and asking me these incredibly thought provoking questions
0: my pleasure so that's our episode done Thank you so much everyone for listening. We really appreciate your support. Email us if you'd like to feature or if you have any ideas at all at hello at netwomen.co. That's .co, not co.uk. You can subscribe to our newsletter or follow us or sponsor us here with our mission, create equity and celebrate equality. Find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, just by searching netwomen. Also head to our website for our latest blogs and updates netwomen.co and DEI programs on netwomen.us, or you can book a call with me currently.com slash netwomen. Thank you for listening. Bye.